Hi, I'm Scott Lawrence, high school All-American coach, and you're listening to Rugger Matrix USA. Thanks, Scott. Scott Lawrence joining us for our back-to-school episode of Rugger Matrix USA. Big school kid coming up too, Bruce McLean. This show just before the USA 7s in Vegas. You gotta be there. Yes, hello and welcome to episode 9 of Rugger Matrix USA. Truly one of the highlights of my week because I get to speak to this guy, Bruce McLean from New York City. Hello, New York, Bruce. Yeah, New York City ex- escaped the uh, the massive snowstorm that absolutely brutalized the East Coast. It's about like a foot and a half, two feet of snow. Some areas, some parts of D.C. and, and Philadelphia, sometimes into 36 inches. And we just narrowly missed it and got zero. However... I think tomorrow or when the show is going to get posted, we'll have a we'll have ourselves a foot, maybe a foot and a half. So, uh, and then they're going to get smashed again, and it's going to go from New York to Boston. So, yeah, it's going to be some rough stuff. You it's going might to, going to may, aff- may affect my flight to Vegas. Well, oh no, we can't have that. You'll just have to stay at the uh, the bar for a bit longer. Uh, the other. Oh, thing- you know what? Oh no, 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 Juro, Juro. <laughs> Brucey is not flying commercial. Uh, Brucey uh, oh. is flying on a private jet. Oh, this is—it was absolutely hysterical. I get a message on Facebook from my friend. Hey, Bruce, would you like would you like a ride to Vegas on my private jet? Oh. And I'm like, okay, Priceline.com. Uh, I'll be skipping that, <laughs> and uh, I'm actually going to be. But I will be in a hotel room with Rob Holder at the Hard Rock. So that'll be uh, <laughs> that'll be. Uh, well, if you can swing by a mascot or Sydney's airport, then um, that'll be making a big weekend. It's just a quiet little detour. What a guest we have for today, Scott Lawrence, as we heard in the introduction. Yeah, Scott Lawrence is here with us today, and he's the head coach of the United States High School American side, which is which is brilliant. He's also the former director of rugby at Life University. And he's now turned it over to Dan Payne, but he is a defensive coach for Life University as we speak. He was the initial HP director for USA Rugby, and he'll be discussing a lot of that. And Scott was a former Eagle, and uh, and I think you were a Grand Rapids Gazelle. Am I am I am I mistaken in that, Scott? And uh, you and um, and Brian Vizard, two two blonde haired, large back rowers from Grand Rapids. Who played for the Eagles? You had six tests, starting against Canada in in 2006, and ending against Uruguay in 2006. Six straight games, and then uh, then you kind of just started playing club rugby, married, and now with twins. So, welcome to the show, my man. Thanks, Bruce and Zero. It's great to be on the show, guys. Welcome. You've got twins. You're doing stuff with high school students. Uh, <laughs> you're just a glutton for punishment, Scott. <laughs> what can I say? I like kids. So, <laughs> well, what's the best thing about excited. what's the best thing about dealing with the age group that you are dealing with? You know, the best thing is that uh, you can see immediate results within the players. You're really dealing a lot of times with a fresh slate with a young player. So, you know, if you try and put in a lesson plan, a coaching plan, you're not always dealing with in- inherited bad habits that have been there for a number of years. So, it can be rewarding to 
to you know put that lesson together and see immediate results in that in that afternoon or evening session. It's really good. How did you uh, how did you find your first session with with the high school Americans and who was your coaching staff? How'd you break things up? How'd you work things out? Because you probably had how many kids you have in camp and then you played Canada and had a couple successful wins against their under seventeens. And we had already discussed the apples to apples, apples to oranges comparison, and then we'll talk about your future plans. Yeah, you know, really we started the, the journey back in July. So we had more than 40 players that it came out of uh, regional tournaments in July, and we got together in uh, Denver. And really what that was was, um, you know, we had some skill objectives out of that, and it was a it was a weeding process. Uh, we we narrowed that down to a group which was actually smaller than the 28 that we went to Canada, uh, and then we grabbed another group to be assessed on top of the kids that we uh, we pulled over from July until December. So, um, you know, myself and uh, and Michael Engelbrecht, the backs coach, and Damian Dowling was a skills coach, and uh, and Dave Laflamme came in as a forwards coach and. And really, we kind of, because we're dealing with age grade, and our objective is really around skill development and identification of young players, we divvied up uh, the basic skill sets of the game and gave an area of focus to each coach. So, for example, you know, Dave might do forward play, but he also did tackle contest stuff to get us uh, in line with um, with the national team. Uh, Damian Dowling might do a catch pass and back three play, and, and Coach Engelbrecht would uh, focus on defense and, um, and, and back line kind of 9-10 connection stuff. So we really were able to to zero in on uh, on the players and and try and get some mini group or small group focus with them. Well, you're talking about your skill development. Where did you 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 now just started a new initiative because you and and Sherm and and everybody who's involved in age grade rugby are when I say Sherm I mean Matt Sherman. I'm sorry. Yep. Um, everyone involved in age grade rugby says yeah it's great that we have them for a week or two but what are they doing for the other 51 or 52 weeks during the year and and you and a bunch of other coaches just started an initiative in order to help people to show them what their players need to be doing and need to be competent in to uh to move themselves to the next level can you talk us through that a little bit and and Jiro will probably sure. be very very interested in this and he may even say how can i help <laughs> <laughs> well first of all sherman stole my uh, my saying with the other 51 weeks of the year so i'll go on record with that but <laughs> we what we really did was we want to make sure that we're we're setting baseline expectations for players going to camp so we can progress with them. And we want to avoid reprogramming the kids every time they come in to do the same thing. So what we're what we're telling players now is by position you must have a baseline of what you what we want you to be able to do. Um, for example, if you're a front rower, we want you to have a good scrum profile and be able to, we can build on that. We, we want you to have a good lifting profile on the line out. So what we've done is said, if we want to set an expectation for players, you have to give them a mechanism to meet that expectation. You can't just throw it out there. They have to be familiar with our terminology. They have to be familiar with our definition of success. So we went ahead and and took the national coaching staff um, and we divided it up into a number of key areas and then we are making video clips that uh, we'll post and I'll go ahead and give you the address at the end here where we'll actually give players 
um, the definition of our terminology, what we see as the correct way to do something, and then one to three player exercises that players can do with themselves or two other teammates to get those basic things correct um, so that when we select a player and he comes into camp, um, we know that uh, he's done those things. And when we write an assessment profile, that player, and we tell him to improve, he's got a video library that he can go back to. And I can say, hey, I'm not really happy with your one-on-one -on -one tackling. Here's a set of three one-on-one -on -one tackling drills done by Mike Tolkien, national team defense coach. I want you to go do those things for 10 minutes before every training session uh, and before each warm-up of a game uh, to improve yourself over the next six months. And, uh, and then the next time when he comes back into camp and I review his assessment, we've given him a mechanism and we'll see whether his tackling is improved or not from there. How does fitness uh, work into this? Well, f fitness is the baseline understanding. So, you know, on that uh, website as well is a strength and conditioning portion. So we've gone ahead and outlined there's a document out in the strength and conditioning folder that explains the baseline values that we that we want to see each player achieve the times um, the strength body weight to um, three rep maximum in, in the gym and uh, and we set those as well we also um, release a um, a Facebook site where we put all of our footwork uh, out there I'm a big believer in uh, skill development comes from the ground up in that you have to put players in a position with their feet to catch the ball to make tackles to do the things they need to oftentimes um, I think we jump too far and get too frustrated with skill development without addressing the basics of agility and quickness and uh, and, and footwork what's your with the high school Americans is your main goal to win games or to create eagles, or to create professional players, or is it a combination of all? And how how much weight would you put into the different different uh, things? Like, would you rather get three guys who were studs, who could play through two or maybe three World Cups, or get like seven or eight guys who were seven to ten cap guys, but you know nobody really stands out as a superstar? And win all your games, yeah. or three sup three superstars, and you know you don't win any games. Yeah, I think you know winning games is a is a distant second to what we're trying to do. So we're we're trying to identify, um, coach, assess, and improve players. And as a high school American, I'm trying to push those up to Ray in the U20 program. Um, and, and when the players are more mature. So, you know, if I were to put a number of, of you know, three to six, I would say I'd like to put six guys in uh, for two or three World Cups. Um, you know, in terms of the, uh, the number of coaches that they put in the staff on the age grade, that allows us to pair up a coach uh, with a player and that player's high school coach and to monitor and assess and improve them over the course of the year. So it's really, you know, like I said, it's really about identification and improvement. You know, we're going to find kids, Bruce, that are going to come in and, you know, they may not uh, look up to it within the first year, 
but they'll, they'll grow, you know, physically they'll change in that, you know, and they'll become great players by the time they're a senior and they graduate into the twenties program. We other may see other kids who will mature very early and look great physically. And then their peers will, will pass them by. So we really be very tough for us to identify. This is the five kids that I really want to go after at uh, 15, 16 years old, just because of their, their physical makeup really changes so dramatically. What about players that have the X factor and you see the kid at 16, man, this, this guy can play. Uh, yeah. Are you then wary about doing too much to change that natural footballing ability or rugby playing ability? Yeah. And that's, and that's really where you, um, you know, balance as a coach is you've got to give the kids some freedom. I think we get, um, maybe a little too tied up in structures within age grade. I mean, you know, you guys would probably uh, curl up a little bit if you heard that we never talked about a pattern of play over the two camps. We never really talked about a pattern of play with them going into Canada. We really gave them, you know, tactical decision factors and we gave them things in which to read the game and allowed them to play and to be athletes and to have fun with the game. And I, and I think that's the most important thing. You know, there's kids out there that you look at like, um, you know, Sean Carley, for example, unfortunately, he took a knee injury. He wasn't with us in December, but within 15 minutes of walking on the field the first day, Sean was a guy you looked at. You went, that kid's a rugby player. He's an athlete. He's got an X factor. He's going to do things on the field, um, and we've got to give him some space. You know, we've got to give him some room off the back of the scrum to allow him to be creative there. Yeah, actually, I saw Carley on Friday, and he is progressing very nicely from his knee injury. Uh, in, we got a we got an email from Tony Ridnell who is a uh who's a former Eagle and played for Puget Sound and had 14 caps with the Eagles was played in a couple World Cups. He was a he's a, a, a very very well thought of player both in in 15s and in 7s. Puget Sound used to have one of the one of the better 7s teams in in the area and he said I have a thought for the future. How about if we identify 100 high school players, the top 100 that we know, individually poll them and find out their goals, intentions, whether they're professional, athletic, etc. Find 50 or 60 of these guys to track, get them into good college programs, play on top clubs, literally handhold these 50 or 60 guys. Worst case scenario, you get 8 to 10 great players in their early 20s, five years down the road who have experience ability, et cetera, and then voila, you have your next nucleus for your World Cup team. He said there are dozens of Todd Clevers out there. We just need to mine them and keep them. Is that a realistic thing to do? And, and, and as, the, as the high performance director, um, having, and, and you're speaking very similar language to Rob Holder, and, and, and when Rob Holder had, had said, when, when you left USA Rugby, I remember Rob called me up and he goes, I can't believe they let him go. That was a massive mistake. I said, I, I don't know that that was uh, – that, that, I think you just got a, uh, an offer he couldn't refuse in the, in the Don Corleone sense. Uh, and that's why you left. So, but uh, but it, could you address that issue and, and address your age grade um, things? And, 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 and I want Bronk to come in a little bit and, and, and talk about the, the video – the video things you're trying to do because that's Bronx specialty. So okay. I mean, we're sitting here and we're talking about something with an expert, and and I'll and I'll tell you the the amateur story that Mike Tolkien and I had trying to video these things. 
<laughs> well, good. Well, you know, if I, I think if I could go handpick the top hundred players across the country right now, uh, I would do it tomorrow if I knew who they were and I knew um, physically what they were going to look like. Um, um, to give you an example, when I was 16, Bruce, I was five foot six, 160 pounds. When I was 18, I was six foot three, 225 pounds. So, you know, physically you can change quite a bit. And so I think it's, I think if you want to talk about the hundred best players, I would push that further up into the U20 ranks and look more at those kids. Um, you have them in a, in a little bit more of a controlled environment. They're a little bit more physically mature at that age, and you'll have a little bit more uh, sense of what uh, what kind of person that they are at uh, at that age. So I would push that a little bit uh, a little bit further. There's so many kids that come out um, of our age grade programs that uh, end up being crossover kids or kids that were um, you know, football players, uh, you know, that, that dropped out and ended up in our programs in college that I wouldn't want to exclude them. Um, for, for our purposes in the high school All-American program right now, I feel like we've got a good core nucleus of about 15 kids that um, I would see passing on to the U-20s right now. So I, I think, you know, 50 to 60 might... Uh, might be a difficult, but I, I agree in concept and what he's saying, and that we want to see pass through from our age grade into um, into the national team. I just think in execution, we probably differ a little bit. There's a bigger issue here, isn't it? It's ID, talent ID, and 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 uh, acceptable feedback that is not biased as well about players. Yeah, I mean, video doesn't lie. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what we've said to the guys is um, that we want to see video. Whenever I get an email, my first question is, send me a video. When can you send me a video so we can have a look at it? So, again, if there if there are coaches out there who want to propose a kid, I'd say this get accurate height and weight on the kid. So go to the doctor or go to the school nurse or whatever, figure out how tall he is, what does he weigh. Um, you know, there's a profile that we send out what it, where his parents, athletes, the same stuff that, uh, that your, you know, your listener emailed in. What are his aspirations? What does he want to do? It's all in our profile. And then send me some film. And email me, and I'll be happy to give you the film site. I've got a film site that they can upload to, uh, and I'll pull it down, and I'll have a look at the player. We'll put all those details on the website, but uh, yeah. Bruce, uh, clearly, um, you, you, you can't, you just can't mess with the vision if uh, if you've got it. Yeah, and no, I mean, I, I I I totally agree with you, Bronk. And and one of the things I wanted to get your your take on there is. As an Australian who's been involved in a lot of different rugby and knows people throughout many different levels, whether it's just whether it's club rugby, whether it's um, Super 14 rugby, or whether it's the elite national team, everything which you've been involved in, player identification and talent pool. Uh, what were the mistakes that you saw made in Australia? What were some of the successes that you saw in Australia? And also the idea of what Scott's looking to do is, and and you see it like the. Queensland Reds are starting to do it now with with their uh, academy coaching group of guys with Nick Lee and those guys there. 
trying to put out videos and, you know, the Waratahs had done it a little bit and, and even, and even the Australian rugby union does it to, to give core skills drills that people can and, and can't use. What, what benefits and, and drawbacks do you see to that kind of stuff? And how would you produce it if you could? Can I uh, use the uh, opposing code as an example here to start off with? Uh, rugby league is, uh, is, is far bigger than, uh, than rugby union is in Australia, and they, they get the best athletes first. Um, but they're quite aggressive, and it's, it's a very professional environment. But I will say, gentlemen, that it starts even before the video. There was a um, gentleman called Cyril Connell who was a legend from the Brisbane Broncos in Brisbane, Australia, who was their talent scout. And uh, Cyril uh, recently passed away, but even at the age of around 80, he was still picking players. And the difference between him and anyone else, and even when citing videos, that he had the foresight to know that in two to three times, just you years down the track, as you talked about, Scott, that uh, you can vary in height and size and perhaps even in ability over, over a short period of time, maybe a couple of years, he had the ability to do that. And, and so many champions, they, they've won more premierships in the last uh, 10 years or so, 20 years or so, than anyone else in the competition. So there is an element of magic to their, to their talent scouting, and that still continues. But they are trying to be more constructive through video. But it doesn't always end there. And that, well, I think the rugby scouts find that very um, uh, annoying that they can't find that same sort of knack. In terms of rugby analysis of video players around Australia, it's working quite well. Now, one of the famous cases here is a kid called Kirtley Beale. And obviously, he plays, he's played for Australia off the bench. He was a, was a freak from the age of 14, played for St. Joseph's in Sydney, and everyone saw him on video. There was no denying how good he would, he would be. But now he's in his early 20s, and he still hasn't locked down a regular starting side with the Waratahs. You and McKenzie tried that, but he's still not cracking it through to the Australian team. But he was seen as the next Mark Eller. So there are plenty of examples of video uh, analysis of kids, data backed up by coaches going to these school games, knowing the size, weight, speed, agility, their footballing skills, and yet not being able to deliver a player who is now in his early 20s that we all thought for the last two years would be Australia's fly half. So I, I think the, the solution should be there on the table, but it doesn't quite work like that. So I don't know if you experienced much of that at all, Scott. Yeah, I mean, we, we see a mix of two things. So we, we go at it in two different ways. The first way is that um, we identify the with the top coaches. So, you know, in, in American high school rugby, there are always kids that are going to be diamonds in the rough, but some of the better programs get the better athletes within the school in general. And so you rely on those top coaches um, to nominate players, not only on their own team, but in players that they see. So you have, you have that uh, visual reference from, from guys. Then this, the second way in which we do it is a number of all-star tournaments. Those are not quite as, um, as good as detailed, but you will find kids that you hadn't heard of from the top coaches in the country. And you'll, you'll go see these uh, all-star tournaments. They're spread throughout the country. There's, you know, there's ones identified in North Carolina and in Pittsburgh and out in Washington. And we'll send um, scouts from, from our team out 
from our coaching staff out there to actually look for players and we find them in that way as well. So it's, you know, a combination of video in which we, we use video to identify nominations for kids that we can't get eyes on or a, you know, a coach doesn't get eyes on. And then we use uh, scouts at, in these other areas. So it is both our and, and science. Yeah. And, and I, I, I kind of think it's a lot of art. And, and, and maybe, maybe it's just my own philosophy on it. I, I think that player identification and talent identification is art because you have to be able to visualize that person and their skills and their everything within the concept of a team and how they fit in. And, and taking sure. a player like Kurtley Beal, uh, he, you know, for those people who don't know who Kurtley Beal is and, and Jiro the the expectation on him was so high at such an early age. No matter what he did, he was never going to deliver, unless he was Michael Lina and and uh, and Markella all wrapped up into one guy, and Australia was winning games. And the fact of the matter is, there was nothing that Curtly Beal could do short of what Peyton Man. I mean, even Peyton Manning, who came out with every expectation in the world, people were like, well, he's not that good because he didn't win the Super Bowl. I mean, that is nonsense. I mean, he's he's playing with a team that would be four and 12 without him, you know, yeah, and, correct. Correct. and that's, and, the, and the that's, point about the curly is that he didn't have to be that brilliant. He didn't even have to be as good as Stephen Larkin, who was, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the superior of uh, Mark Eller because he kept playing and he could tackle and uh, he played a, a, an amazing amount of rugby and could pass like, uh, well, better than 99% of all players before him. However, with Kirtley, he just had to be good enough uh, to that to meet maybe 80% of the expectation, but he hasn't reached that. So uh, I think all our plans and our hopes have probably uh, overtaken. There's an emotional element into the selection of the player, put it that way. Yeah, sure. Uh, I think Scott, I, there's you... always going to be a there's always going to be a number of players that are going to exceed your expectations, right? That are mm-hmm. going to come out of nowhere, and there's always going to be um, some players that are are going to disappoint you. I, you know, I think when you're talking about the selection process, it's really the 90-10 rule, right? You want to try and if you can get it right 90% of the time, you'll be better doing better than our most popular sport, the NFL, in well, terms of selecting the best mm-hmm. athletes. And Bruce Scott is in the most difficult selection realm of all isn't he in that period that high school period because it's tough it's tough to work out and predict the future where you have to be Nostradamus a bit yeah well in in fact you can't predict the future and 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 he is correct in saying it you you don't know what a guy is going to be you could you could probably tell his mental makeup when you meet him though you could probably tell whether he's a hard guy Hmm. you could probably tell whether he has the determination and the work ethic and I personally think that I would rather have a guy who, and, and again, I'm, I'm not, I would rather have a guy who has determination, work ethic, and drive than talent. Because I think that, you know, I, the people say like, well, it's innate, it's this, it's, it, it's not innate. Rugby's been around for 150 years. We don't have an innate ability to play rugby. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it, this, isn't, this isn't like hunting and gathering. We don't have an innate ability to play. And the reason that rugby league was probably a little bit in, a little bit easier 
to do talent identification is that the rules didn't change dramatically over the course of time. When in rugby union, the rules have changed dramatically over the course of time. The refereeing has changed dramatically and it changes back and it changes forth. And, and I think that that's, that's part of it. I think that the, the most important thing that you can have in a player is attitude and an appreciation for hard work and a willingness and an enthusiasm about doing the dirty work. I think from there, you have something. Because there's plenty of guys out there who are talented athletes who could run up and down the field and do drills until they're green. And as they see, you know, it's like the old saying goes, everyone's tough till they got punched in their chin. And then you, then you see what the guy's really made of. And I don't know, Scott, how do you feel about that? And how important is the mental component as to what you're looking at? You're, you know, you're always looking for guys who, who enjoy enjoy the struggle, right? I mean, I think that's an, an important part. And we're certainly seeing kids who have fit into both categories. And to be honest, I'm looking for kids that are both, um, both good athletes and enjoy the struggle. Um, you know, because a lot of times what you'll hear is, is, you know, undersized players in general uh, have that attitude. Uh, and they're great. They're a joy to be around. Um, but you know, if if the kid isn't uh, isn't going to grow past five foot eight, you know, he's he's not going to be a, a number eight for you on the World Cup side. Um, doesn't matter what his attitude is. So, you know, you look to at a young age. We look to place those kids. Maybe he's maybe he's got a different position where he's better suited, and we can use that attitude uh, in a positive way. Um, but again, Bruce, you know, I'm looking for both. I'm looking the guy who's going to do the dirty work and he's a good athlete. And those are the gems. Those are the five or six guys that you see, you know, passing all the way through. Now, I, I agree with you in, in that you, you have to, it, it, you have to look for both. And, yeah. and you know, the reality is the, the guy's kidding himself if he thinks he's a five foot eight, number eight, and he's not Buck Shelford. You know, I mean, right. it, it, he's, and even now today, if he is Buck Shelford, it doesn't matter. So yeah. yeah, the guy is kidding himself, and I'm I'm saying that, like, how much leeway do you give a guy who's an unbelievable athlete, who just can do everything, but man, is he just there's something upstairs that you just want to smash him upside the head and say, <laughs> hey buddy, it's sitting here for you. If I had half your yeah. talent, I'd be in the NFL. All we're doing <laughs> is to ask you to be a good rugby player, you know? Yeah, and, and you know yeah. that these guys like this. There's dozens yep. of them, and you sit there and you see them all the time. And you're like, "That the heck? Why is he on a rugby field? And why does he look like Tarzan and play like Jane?" You yeah. know? And, yeah. So, uh, and, that, and that's you know, that's the great part about being in a in <clears throat> in a in a position where there are a lot of kids that are playing rugby across this country who want to play for the USA, and so. I feel like if you if you want to be a part of what we're trying to do and you want to be that that good athlete who digs in and does the work, then uh, then great. And if you're not, then you know we need to be honest as coaches. We need to tell that player exactly uh, how we f- how we feel about that and uh, let him know that we're going to let him go for now and uh, get show him the opportunities that he can earn his way back into the program. But uh, that uh, attitude is a non-negotiable for us. Yeah, I, I tell you, and one of the things we tell our guys, and, and one of the things we tell them all the time is, and and especially you know at the New York Athletic Club we have, and, and at Xavier, there, there are players who have national team aspirations, 
and and they don't have national team ability. And we always have to remind them that, guys, it's not a bad thing to be a good club rugby player and to play club rugby for eight or ten years and, and, and stomp when you're 30 years old. That it's actually a lot of fun, and if you just let yourself enjoy it, some things may you know, may fall on your lap, and if they don't, they don't. But, you know, playing playing quality club rugby and and playing in a quality collegiate program but not making college all Americans and playing in a you know, in a quality men's program afterward and, you know, although you may not make the national team, is still that is the rugby experience for ninety nine point nine nine five percent of Americans anyway. And if you make the most of that, it's still there's nothing wrong with that. And you can give back to the game. You may not have been good enough to make it, but if you learn and you play enough and then you go coach and give back to your high school program or your college program, you'll see that maybe you'll help a kid make it. And that that person can, you know, you could, you could, you know, take heart in the fact that that person made it and you had some, a little bit of something to do with it. I don't know. You, I don't know. Is that how you uh, look at it at all? Or? Yeah, you know, I, you know, I do, Bruce, in that it's kind of the kind of the, the journey, you know, especially when you're talking about developing kids. Whenever you look at, if you look at, especially in a high-performance environment, you're looking at the, the player development. You know, part of it is rugby. The other part of it, especially in developing countries, is around player education and career development and what are they going to do when rugby's over. You know, I've always told the guys um, when I was the director of rugby here at Life that, you will learn the value of time management and hard work and reward of doing all the things that we ask you to do and going to school and graduating and you learn how to be dedicated and to hold responsibility and that journey of being a good player and and of learning to do the hard work and and balance will make you successful in rugby and in life and that's that's a good journey uh, to go on so Scott, I agree Scott what are the what are these kids telling you when they come in and look for guidance and tuition? Are they saying that they, they want to play for the Eagles down the track and play in the Super League? Or do a lot of them say, look, I, I want to make a, a living in the um, Guinness Premiership and uh, then come back to the Eagles? What are they saying? Yeah, I, I think it's... Uh... I think it's across the board. I think a lot of them have uh, professional player aspirations. You know, you've had uh, Todd Clever on here. I think Todd's an awesome role model for kids. I think they're seeing that he's playing in the Super 14. They see that as an opportunity or something they can do. You get guys like Paul Emmerich and Mike McDonald and, you know, Court Schubert spent some time over uh, playing professionally. I think that's a a big goal for a lot of them. and so I, I think they're just looking to do rugby as a full-time thing as as well as we're starting to get some kids who are, you know, now that they know the Olympics are out there, that's another big goal for them as well. And what do you be part of that. And what do you want them to do? Do you have a preference? I, you know, I, I want them to be productive members of society and be successful in whatever <laughs> they do. So, you know, that that's really the goal is to make better men out of them and, and to help equip them with um, the things that they need to do in life. So if, if they want to be professional rugby players, um, that's great. If that doesn't work out, I want them to be successful in their career choice. So for, for us, you know, it's really about the journey for them and, and providing them all the support we can. There's nothing surely wrong. Bruce talked about giving back to the game uh, for a player who makes a living uh, in, say, the Guinness Premiership, Magnus League, or in France. 
but then makes the trip back uh, afterwards to to play for the Eagles, uh, even while they're playing there. When when it comes to uh, being released in an IRB window or or giving back as a coach later on, uh, there surely is a benefit there as well. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, I think I think you know players need to go and play the best competition that they can, and uh, they'll do that. And they want to challenge themselves, they'll they'll go do that as well. And um, you know, you need to apply your trade where you're going to be the best competition. And I don't think we've seen too many guys leave and and not want to come back and play for the Eagles. I think it's great. And then, you know, the experience that they gain abroad, um, you know, if they come back and coach, is just fantastic. It's good to get a good refresh of the latest uh, that's going on out there every few years from these returning players. Scott, a couple things that I you just jarred my thoughts. At Xavier, one of the things that we're trying to do is encourage these players to go and play at quality collegiate programs because yeah. what had been happening is they'd just been going to college without really making rugby one of the major criteria for where they go. And now they are making rugby one of the major criteria. Like I think Patrick Coleman is going to go to Cal Berkeley. I'm, I'm not positive, uh-huh. but I, 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 I'm, I, he may not be married to it, but he's engaged. Um, right. and, you know, and, and Seamus Kelly obviously went there and, and then there's, you know, a bunch of kids who go to Penn state or Delaware or, or that kind of thing. Are you seeing that now in the, in the high school, uh, age grade setup, whether it's in at the national program at the national level or at the, even at like the, um, the local union re- level that they, where they play at the all-star tournament, are you seeing that that? Rugby is now a major consideration for where these kids choose to go to college. Yeah, and is that making a difference at the under twenties level? Yeah, absolutely. It it is becoming a a a huge factor for kids now. They're really starting to consider it. And you know, the best part about it is is that you know some of our best rugby programs are also really great schools. Um, You know, Cal Berkeley is is a pretty darn good school to go to. Um, you know, uh, Dartmouth with uh, Alex Magleby up there, you know, great school to go to. So um, we are seeing a lot of kids who are, who are making that determination um, based on rugby and academics. And, and like I said, we're lucky that we're able to combine that for a lot of the kids. Well, I, want, I wanted to ask you one, you know, we're going to get into a little bit of your age grade thing about, not your age grade, your HP thing. But um, Tony Ridnell also sent an email to me, and and he basically said, I agree 100% with you. Whose idea was it to forego a free trip to the Junior World Cup? Like we couldn't find a reasonable team to represent us with a question mark. So we lose. We've done that before. If you get one diamond in the rough, that's more diamond than we have now. So many excellent and aspiring players would give their left testicle for a trip like that. Um, I have been on over 30 overseas tours, and there's nothing like it. Now, skipping that part, one of the things I had said to Holder while this was kind of going down, I was like, why don't we just send a coach or two coaches down to American Samoa, say, all right, we understand that it's within our school year, send them down to American Samoa, pick an American Samoan team and have the IRB fly them from American Samoa to the World Cup. Pick who we can and see if we can get these kids into colleges in America 
based on how they perform there and see if they can get on the Eagles. Now, obviously, that's not politically the, the, the most popular thing. But – and I understand where they're coming from. I just wanted to see your thoughts on it because you were in the cold face of it. Not that you were making the decision because you were out of the HP point at that point. But you were in at a time when you have to be thinking like, man, these under-20s World Cups are in April and it's killing us because they got to miss three weeks of school and these kids are paying 50 grand to go to school. And their parents are like, what are you, nuts? You're not doing that. So <laughs> talk us through yeah. some of this. Yeah, I I think there's a you know there's a balance on both sides. The flip side of that is that you're in a in any running any business or any organization, you're in a limited you're always in a limited resource pool. So if you were to send um, kids on that tour, you may then have other kids who will be in your top tier, who will be your best players that will project through, that will not get any time in 20s camp at all. Because the academic school year doesn't line up with them. And then, you know, you've missed that development period w for them at that critical juncture. Um, so, you know, I think the, you know, the rationale to me into why we made it match up with our academic school year makes sense uh, in terms of you want the best players training with the best players. You know, you want them all available and you want them to progress. I'll tell you, there is a difference in the kids that we've seen in the high school American program that have come through the U17 program because of the fact that they are simply, they've been coached all the way through the system and they, they know the terminology. They, you know, they do the basics in a way that we need them to do them. Um, and, and there's a difference. We need that contact time with them. So, you know, I, I, I would have to say, though, I've had some, some great tours abroad. You know, I did one to Russia a long time ago. It was pretty, pretty interesting. So, um, you know, unfortunately, you, and when you have a, a set thing of resources, you have to give up something. And to us, you know, I guess we're giving up the tour to get access to the best players and the most development. Bronk, how, uh, how useful do you find – the Australian under-20s and the Australia, you know, say the Australia A program that plays in the Pacific Nations Cup, or, um, is, is there true value to Australia or should it just be the, uh, the Super 15, Super 14? Uh, my personal opinion is there's very little value at all. In fact, the Australia A program has been poor for some time. And at the drop of a hat, we seem to drop in and out of that competition. There was a good one happening. New Zealand seemed to support it a lot better than uh, Australia does. And uh, in the end, it, it really didn't support uh, a leg up for any player into the, uh, to the Australian team. Uh, it just gave players a chance to play outside the competition. Many more people would have preferred those players to just put their heart and soul in the club rugby and improve that level of competition. So um, I think uh, it can vary from nation to nation. But from an Australian point of view, I found the Australia A program pretty useless, actually. It uh, did nothing at all for us, other than probably get guys aligned to Australia that you didn't want to play with anyone else. Yeah, and I think that I think that a lot of uh, I think that a lot of senior nations kind of use it like that, aligning their aligning their players so that they don't go anywhere else. Scott, do you find a lot of value in the uh, in the A program in America? 
I mean, I, you know, I know a couple <laughs> people have come through, but I think we kind of knew who they were anyway. And, you know, it's yeah. just kind of an excuse to see them one more time. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, you know yeah. go ahead. Go ahead, man. No, I, I think, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I think there's, you know, again, I, I think we've got to offer some kind of rep uh, pathway for guys, you know, um, you know, some of the other things, the NASC and some other things have gone away. So I think, uh, I think there's an opportunity for some guys to get some high level experience, but, um, really it, it really is kind of turned into a way for guys that are going to be Eagles anyway, uh, to go, to go ahead and, you know, get some extra time in there. I don't, I, yeah. I can't see any new identification recently out of it. Yeah, and I, I mean, and, and is it a higher level game? A higher level than what? I don't know. Um, yeah. So now you were the HP director in the USA. You helped set up a lot of what we got. Helped us to get our budget from the IRB and that kind of thing. What would you do differently? In hindsight, being twenty twenty, what would you do differently? You know, I think we we went about, um, you know, maybe putting the cart before the horse and trying to build um, a lot of facilities. You know, I think we, we got a nice network together. We identified guys that were, um, you know, coaches that were willing to help and, uh, and you know, doctors and people in the medical community to support us. And we, we built a nice network there over the course of that of that program. But I probably wouldn't have gone – directly to the facilities to start i would have gone a little more uh grassroots and enabling the coaches within you know the top tiers to support what we were trying to do in terms of the daily training environment um, in terms of educating people on how to create that within their club or uh, collegiate or high school program and really kind of spread high performance and, and what it means, our high performance model to other people. Uh, I think we went for that, that top group uh, straight away. And, uh, and you know, the quality of player just wasn't there. We should have pushed it down a little bit further. Yeah, so basically you're saying instead of dealing with the top of the pyramid, go to the base of the pyramid, exp- expand from the base, push up, and then, you know, eventually as you, as you have more numbers and more people in, involved and, and that the cream will rise to the top, but we have to, we have to expand the base and solidify the base of the foundation. Am I correct in saying that? Is that, I, is that yeah. That's how I understood what you said. Yeah, I, I did. It's just saying, you know, a lot of times around education, you know, you – you, you have a level three coach and you talk about, you know, periodization and your yearly plan and things like that as a coach, really in, in terms of high performance, when we talk about growing, it's saying, you know, what is a daily training environment means? What should we, if you want to be a high performance club, what does that mean? It means medical care. It means assessment profiles for your players. It's really spreading knowledge, right? Sharing knowledge around what does high performance mean and enabling top programs to become more high performance. And they'll produce high performance players out of that, right? Um, so really start from the bottom of the pyramid and, and more education. I want to talk about a, a couple brief things. Life University, how are you guys shaping up? You'll be the first uh, Super League profile that we do on Rugged Matrix USA. And, you know, if you could talk us through 
some of your top players in your forward pack and some of your top players in your back line and and how you're how you're looking for the for the upcoming Super League season and how it's progressing in terms of your university program and whether or not you're going to try to make the jump next year and play university rugby. Sure. Well, I think our Super League program is, uh, you know, we've actually returned most of the team from last year, which is, is good. We'll see a lot of continuity from last year, and we've we've added a few kids that have come up uh, organically from the bottom. You know, Cam Dolan and other kids have gotten a little bit older and will be pressing there. Uh, you know, guys up front um, that we know about, uh, Seth Strauss is is back. Um, he's been a good player for us, and Phil Teal has uh, come back with a lot of experience from his Eagle camp over the summer. And uh, and we've got some guys that are just kind of grinders, you know, the the Joe Perez's that'll be in in the squad as well this year. Um, Brendan Thompson was a guy that did some ARC stuff. Um, he'll be he'll be captaining this year. He's he's a real solid player. And and then the usual cast of characters, the Tui Osborns and uh, and Nathan Rogers um, and the Nolte Cotsias uh, will all be back. And 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 Benny Mattialoni as well has really come back and proved from his from his All-American experience. Um, is, there any, is there any Scott ahead. Lawrence? Or is Scott Lawrence <laughs> finally hanging, hanging those things up? No no Scott Lawrence. They're on a, they're on a shelf. I can't reach him. There you go. <laughs> um, the wife finally put her foot down, huh? Is Jamie yeah. Hugh playing? He is, yeah. He'll be back this year. And um, so, you know, it's it's good to keep our front row together. Um, and, um, you know, we've had James Isaacson come over as our scrum coach. He's kind of fresh out the premiership and he's done a real good job with the guys this year, um, and, and working with them. So it's good. And in terms of our undergraduates, you know, we're, you know, Dan has been growing that program like crazy and, uh, you know, we're, we're pushing for next year. We've, we've got, you know, 22 plus guys in that undergraduate program, their training, you know, they've got their own session, an extra one each week. And, uh, and they're getting to play against super league guys. <coughs> week in, week so, you know, we'll be, we'll be going for undergraduate next year. And Scott, what do you, what sort of style or what team has inspired your, uh, defensive systems or is it all entirely homegrown <laughs> <laughs> well you know it's um a, a little bit uh homegrown um i uh you know i, I tended to look at, back at last year and um some of the teams that put us under pressure and the reasons why and um so we were going about adjusting that uh, a little bit differently but i tend to try and look at other teams and and pick uh, a little bit of what I like from each depending on it's really on our personnel you know and what we can what we can accomplish uh, personnel wise so we use a, a mix of different teams what were the issues with uh, your D last year that may have disappointed well you know I thought we, we were in front of people a lot so we didn't play we didn't really put pressure when we were in a position to put pressure on other teams so we played a lot of uh, drift defense and we made tackles because of the fact that we were present um, and, and maybe we forced teams into turnovers because we were there. Uh, when we got into some of the later rounds, um, you know, obviously in the final, we found a team that was, was going to run at us a little bit more um, when we played Bruce's team and they put some pressure on us with their pattern of play. Um, you know, we found ourselves on the back foot. Mm. So we want to, uh, look and make decisions on defense where we can apply pressure back onto the offense when we have superior numbers. 
Yeah, yeah, that's definitely pretty interesting. Because uh, <laughs> if life if life start if life starts playing um, full out straight defense and 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 they uh, and they could bring it with and and they could combine that with the attacking weapons that they have and and all the players that were just mentioned there are very very serious attacking weapons and then you're adding the the Mark Aylers and the and the uh, and the Cam Dolans of the world and look out and and you would have to be the early season favorite to uh, to repeat as conference champion and I, and I, I don't think I'm going out on a limb and saying that. Uh, Scott, one of the things we want to talk about real briefly before we get out of here was coaching rugby. You got yep. 50 guys and you, maybe in a, maybe you and a buddy who doesn't know a whole lot about rugby. Yeah. How do you make it work? <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that I like to use quite a bit is to, in, is to break the team into three different groups and have two of them, uh, two of the two of the groups playing a game at any one particular time where you set the objectives for that game. You take the third group off and you spend detailed time with them. So in a one on, you know, 10 to 15 ratio, and you actually build the particular skill set or decision-making process in a slow controlled setting. And then you rotate them back into the game and let them play the game and let them put those things into action while you pull another group out. Um, that can, uh, you know, your coach to player ratio when there's only two of you and 50 guys is not great, but by um, keeping them interested, letting them play the game, let them put that, uh, what they've learned into action. But then on the side, spending some detailed time together without eating up your entire training session is actually a very, very effective way to use your time. Yeah, I agree with you, my man. I, uh, Mike and I use stations a lot, and stations work, games work, and especially games where you have an objective. And uh, we could probably go, we can we can get more in depth into that. The show's kind of winding up at this point now. Couple things we got to get to, Bronk. I mean, it's it's a long way into the show. USA Sevens this weekend. <laughs> you got to be there. Valentine's Day in Vegas. I mean, is is there anything more anti-family than Valentine's Day in Vegas? Well, especially with Vegas, your, baby. You, you and your corporate jet. So it's uh, you you are the anti-family man. So anyway, uh, Scott, you you'll be there, of course. I will not. No, no? I uh, no. Dan is headed out for the seven, so I'll be uh, I'll be manning the camp back here in Atlanta. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. But uh, you will will be. Playing, paying close attention, no doubt. I will, absolutely. And Bruce, uh, yeah, you got to be there. Uh, a lot of people uh, rocking out for a fantastic weekend of of sevens rugby, but it's not just the IRB competition. There's a whole lot more. Uh, the boys coming back um, with a bit of a trophy heading into it, um, but I guess they want to perform in front of a home crowd. I think that they they're going to be looking for a lot better performance in front of the home crowd than they had than they had this past weekend. They came home with the Shield Trophy, and that's nice. Mm. Canada went to the top eight. We're going ha- to have to start to, you know, as we said, we give them a pass early on, and, and, and now this is the tournament that they're going to have to, I think, they should try to get themselves into the top eight. You know, once you get there, hey, I'm, I, you know, anything can happen. And, and last year, 
they they had a tremendous run in in the USA Sevens this year. You know, again, I'm I'm not going to have expectations to be this similar to that, but I would have expectations for them to get to the top eight. They do have a massively brutal draw, so uh, we shall see. They do have a couple injuries too. You know, it, it, this it's never easy on the IRB circuit, but um, you know, the Six, Na- Six Nations are going on, and the club competitions are going on, so you are meeting weakened Scotland sides, weakened England sides, weakened uh, weakened France sides, and you know that the, these are not their premier top players, and um, so we we should be able to take a little bit of advantage of that, and and unfortunately didn't last week, but uh, I, I think we have to look for for more this time around. I, I I think that we we need to do better than 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 the shield round. I I would hope that we do better than the shield round. That that's my own personal opinion on it. We should be a better team than that. We we are an IRB team. That is that you know we're we're a core team. So I think that puts us in the top eight or twelve. So if, if we're going to be a core team, we we're going to have to act like one starting now. All right. So that's the action this weekend in <clears throat> Vegas. Look out for Bruce's personal jet. Screaming into Vegas Airport, and I can't wait wait to hear the report about how you behave, Bruce. Too, I'm going to be in a room with Rob Holder. I'm going to have to behave. <laughs> I mean, well, he's used to like, he, he's used to mentoring young fellows. So yes, he's he's used to mentoring young fellows who are who are troubled. <laughs> so he, he's going to have a young fellow who's troubled who's in his room. And I, and I think that uh, he'll keep me out of any trouble that I'm going to, uh, that I may, that I may encounter. All right. It's going to be a big uh, weekend. So you enjoy that. But this quickly, there's another young fellow who is um, doing all right uh, over in, in Ireland. Uh, we had an email from a guy from Mike Robinson, who's a big listener to rugby matrix international and also rugby matrix USA, Bruce. And, uh, and good to see that one of our, Eagles uh, is playing at Ulster's second eleven team, the Ravens, and, and doing quite well. Yeah, Scott Laval is the second row on the on the Ulster team. He is a graduate of the USA under nineteen program, uh, USA under twenties program, and he he was all actually offered a scholarship to play gridiron football at Oregon or Oregon State, and he chose to go to. Trinity College in Dublin to play rug to play rugby for Tony Smith. Uh, Smith sent me an email saying that he did tremendously well and that the the, the Ulster the Ulster, Ulster papers were raving about him and, and saying they they couldn't believe how great his work rate was. So you know the kid's captain of Trinity. He's he's doing pretty well and and um, I think that I think that we're looking at seeing something out of Scott in the future. But, May not be in the in the dead near future for the Eagles. I don't know what how the second row situation is going to shake out. They do have Hayden Smith from Saracens. They do have John Vandergeesen from um, from Albi. And you know, I think that they're trying to figure out exactly how they're going to play that. I think they may probably play more with a five back row set, like guys like Louis Stanfield can cover both. So that kind of may edge Scott out of there a little bit, <clears throat> but. Uh, We'll see. Playing well for the Ravens is good. I think if he gets into the senior team at some point this season, if he's fortunate enough to do that, then uh, that may change Eddie O'Sullivan's mind. All right, Mike uh, Robinson from uh, Ireland. Thanks very much for uh, sending us note. Sending us that note. 
uh, about um, a young American player doing well for Ulster. All right, gentlemen, Scott Lawrence, thanks for joining us, looking after America's youth and doing a great job. Uh, it's, it's a tough job, but uh, we're all glad you're doing it. So thanks for joining us on the show and uh, all the very best for 2010. All right. Hey, thanks, Juro, and thanks, Bruce. I really enjoyed being on. Great fella. Hey, and- Scott, 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 Scott. You can't leave. You didn't give us the website address. <laughs> and if you don't uh-huh. give us the website address, Juro's never going to be able to put it up there on the website. And then guys uh, are never yes. going to get there. And then you're not going to have players who are looking at the videos to get themselves <laughs> better, to get to camp. And then the whole thing is going to come tumbling down All because right. we didn't mention the website. Well, well let's mention it All now. Right. Here we go, guys. It's uh, HTTP uh, public.me.com forward slash USA Rugby. All right. Uh, You don't have to write that down because you'll just be able to click on the link on the website in the story page. So as we did last week, I think a bit of a response too, Bruce, from your uh, throwing notes uh, on the site. So well done for that. Yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see we'll try to we'll try to give everybody good information each week and and we'll uh, we'll update. I'll start writing some more columns too. I'm gonna go to USA Sevens, kind of see what people are saying around around the world there, and then I'll take and some then picks not too. around the world. I, I want to see. I want to see. Are you kidding me? Take I'm some pics. I want some pics of uh, people. People I, out there. All I have is a picture. I, I have a. If I you see, I have a camera on, I'm going to have to mute you, mute you here. So no, you can't, I've got control now. So people out there in Vegas this weekend, if you see Bruce McLean, email admin at ruggermatrix.com, and we will definitely put it on the site. And uh, when Bruce blogs, so Bruce, I'll bring you back in now. Sorry, mate, I have the power. That's all right. <laughs> um, yeah. Well. Yeah, take pictures. I, I'm certainly not going to take pictures. I have a horrible camera phone, and that's about it. And anyway, Vegas, you got to be there. Scotty, good stuff that we have. The, we're going to have the link up. And I will tell you the story about what happened. Mike Tolkien set himself up to do a tackling session so that he could put it up for Scott. So we get out there. It's freezing cold. It's Friday night. It's dark. And... We're out after practice. The two of us are frozen. I have the camera. We're going and we're working out the things, working out the script. Camera runs out of juice. <laughs> then we go and we find a plug somewhere and we plug it in and we have these guys <laughs> tackling on concrete. <laughs> and we're like, this isn't working. And there's noise all over the place. People are screaming and playing soccer. And then we go and then we try to go down and the cord doesn't reach so that I can get through the net to look at them from above and then we try to do it again and then we get it all right all right it's working it's working boom camera dies we felt like really two horrible nyu film students trying to get this done and i remember mike called scott he's like man this isn't working my my battery's dad lost my battery I don't know it, it was it was just one of those days man nothing if it, it, it was one of those things if it could go wrong it did and you know like the old saying other than that mrs lincoln how was the play <laughs> uh, <laughs> so oh, Anyway, at some point, Mike Tolkien will have a defense video for you, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> well, if, if, he, if, he, if, he can, if he can get his partner in crime to actually figure out how to work his camera. Um, All right. Anyway, have, All right, have a good night, boys. All right, Bruce McLean, thanks for joining us. And Scott Lawrence, thanks for joining us. That has been Rugger Matrix, Episode 9. We'll speak to you next week.